Welcome to Human First. My name is David Tilston, and this podcast explores the methods, habits, and processes which allow us to excel as human beings. My aim is to utilize the experience and knowledge of experts from a wide range of different fields and to translate these into easy to follow principles that can be adopted by you to improve your life and those around you. On this episode, I'm joined by Sarah Piros, who is a Canadian artist and international arts educator. She has taught in Egypt, Italy, and at the United College of the Adriatic. Much of her work explores and expresses human movement, inspired by her studies in yoga, freediving, and various movement disciplines. I have been interested in her work for years as she manages to express concepts with art where words often fail. Let's get into it. Sarah, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for joining me. Keen to have this discussion for a while. Thanks. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Obviously, you're in Thailand and we can dive into that a little bit and dive into the other stuff, diving itself. But also your art is one of the main reasons I wanted to talk to you because you... I've been... Well, I've admired your work for a long time in terms of how you can depict movement through art. So would you be able to just sort of go into how you got into this and a little bit about your background as well. So to bring you up to date or to bring the listeners up to date. Oh, sure. Um, Well, I guess I've been making art since I was really young. Uh, I wasn't actually a big speaker when I was little. I'm I'm the youngest of six kids, actually. So, you know, I would just watch a lot. And I think a lot of um, making art comes from observing and you're observing things in a very particular way. And, you know, I just always had a pen in my hand and I'd always be like doodling and drawing, that kind of thing. Um, With my own experience, when I was a teenager, I actually had a condition with uh, where I was experiencing a lot of chronic pain and that would come monthly. So I was actually in bed for about three days every month when I was growing up from about like 13 to 23. It was it was interesting because that kind of art was very... um, expressive of pain right like you're trying to get something out that you really can't communicate with words and then as I was finding uh movement and sport and getting more of a handle of pain and getting my body stronger and being healthier uh the art actually changed with that quite a bit so um a lot of it had to do with breath work and yoga movement and um yeah, I just found that the 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 visual expression became more delicate, became more fine, became more subtle. And I was really looking into the experience of it feeling good, my body feeling better, my body feeling more spacious. And the shift, you know, from reacting to going deeper and exploring the physical world and how I was moving and being in that. So... It, it got a lot um, more reflective of, of how I was feeling physically, I would say. Yeah. So did you feel that, was there any one thing in particular, like whether breath work or yoga or sport that really seemed to make a significant difference to the pain, uh, however it was being expressed? Oh, all of it. All of it. Because sometimes you need like really strong uh like physical activity, like even just running or sprinting or doing something really physically exhausting that would try to get the pain out. 
you know, when the pain was very strong. Um, but what I found was the thread through, through my experience, my growth of that and the management of it was, I think, working with the breath and going into it, realizing that um, you can change your physiology quite a bit when you work with your breath. And then also looking at the mind, like being a little bit courageous, not being so afraid of the pain and realizing, okay, it's going to pass. This is part of the experience. Um, and being a little bit fearless with it. But I, I found that, you know, the condition itself started to uh, improve more as I was uh, taking care of my body, right? So it was just, yeah, the healthier I could be when I was feeling good, the, the better the pain management was. I always try and, I think it's wrong sometimes to try and quantify what um, start the process as in, is it a mental process or is it a physical process? Or for those that have a spiritual outlook, is it one or the other? Because they're all intertwined and becomes a bit of a chicken and egg scenario because they are the same thing fundamentally, aren't they? It's it's all different expressions of it for sure. Yeah, for sure. Like when um, I remember, and I'd always use art to try to express this. Like when I was in university, um, I was studying fine art, but it's also in a program called Arts and Science at McMaster University in Canada. And it was a super geeky program. Like it looked at trying to integrate um, scientific thought with, um, you know, how we use logic and reasoning, how we come to know things, looking at different texts from uh, Eastern philosophy, Western philosophy. So it was really diverse, but I always had art with that. And even in that, when the, the pain was really strong, a lot of my art was very responsive to that. Like it was very like, you know, it'd be like bodies ripping apart and people holding blankets. And it was very like sensational. And um, so that's obviously like where my mind was. And I was trying to research it more from an academic point of view. Like I had for my final thesis, I had a big art show, but I also presented on the medical research that was showing how people describe pain and how it's heard by the medical community and pain management and treatment and um, how, how there can be a, a big uh, gap in what you're experiencing and what you're communicating. And um, I think a lot of the times when you have those experiences, it's easy to get caught in a sensation and go deep into that. And, you know, you're just trying to rip the world apart with your angst. Um, so it's interesting just to look at how it was being presented by patients and being um, uh, listened to by the medical community. And then also looking at the different treatments available. So I was like, I was super geeky into pain. And I was actually, I was on the, the med school path for a while. So I was thinking, oh, that would be a way to help others. And, um, but by keeping the art and keeping my own curiosity with pain and expression and how we can kind of manage that a bit more through through living more of a healthy lifestyle and um, challenging ourselves and, you know, exploring the world a little bit more, even though you think your body can't do it. And yeah, looking at different movements and practices um, for the breath and for the mind and for the body. Uh, I, I just got hooked on all of that and um, 
yeah, then, like I was saying, my art just changed quite a bit. Might be a bit of a hard question to answer, but how would you define pain? And has that definition changed over the years? As in, do you see it as a positive or a negative thing? Has it, has it caused you to grow in different ways as well? Oh, gosh. Yeah, when you're in it, it's just it can be an excruciating experience if you um, are unfamiliar with it. And I think at some point you kind of get to know it a little bit, uh, especially for me because I had reoccurring pain. So, and I never knew how intense it would come, but I knew it would be coming. So it was this weird anticipation of this experience. And at some point I, I would look back and think of it as a teacher because it, it was the thing that pushed me, you know, it pushed me to, look at my circumstances and think, okay, how can I improve this instead of just spiraling downwards into the experience of it? And um, because I had breaks with it, uh, where it'd be on and off, um, when I was feeling good, I was like, okay, I got to maximize this. And, you know, how do you do that? Um, But the actual experience of pain, like I, I wouldn't wish that upon anyone, but I think there's times when you can start to, yeah, just realize that it's not necessarily going to last forever. Like it will come and go. Um, it can be excruciating or um, there are some things that will trigger and make it worse, right? And if you can at least keep your, your breath and your body a little bit um, separate from it, it's almost like you have to disassociate the experience, right? Um, but that can also make you a little bit strange sometimes too, because if you do that enough, like I have had times where like I had a, I had a scooter accident and I jumped up out of it like Rambo. I was like, what's going on? Like my pain response got so different, you know, that I was like, oh, I don't know, actually know if this is a healthy thing. (laughs) Um, yeah, so I don't know how I would define it because it is something that can change the more you experience it or obviously it can release a whole bunch of like chemistry in your body like where you you forget about it and actually like you even um like after giving birth right you have all these like wonderful chemicals that make you forget (laughs) of the pain at some point too so yeah I think I think people's experience with pain if if you have it reoccurring uh, it can be something to look at as a new experience that can show you something um, about how you respond to difficult situations or um, how you can uh, look at something a bit objectively, even though it's your own personal experience. Yeah, yeah. It's something I heard a while ago was that pain, pain was generally to do with like a withdrawal response as well there's this withdrawal from pain so if i was to put my my finger on a hot pan i'd withdraw really quick and then on the opposing end of the spectrum the way of looking at it was that it's a strong sensation because a strong sensation is a teaching point it's telling the body that something needs to happen so this happens so what will you do about it and if nothing happens with that sensation generally that sensation gets stronger and stronger and stronger until it becomes a problem. Because what, from what you said, something that I find quite interesting is being in a med school environment, trying to then give um, holistic methodologies or methods that you were working through, 
it'd be interesting to know how how that was sort of looked upon because obviously the medical industry especially in our country are quite time restricted so it's very much like you have these symptoms so you have this and if you have this you take this so when you go to a holistic method and by holistic i just mean putting the work in looking at methods that might take a little bit longer that might not show themselves for months or maybe even years um, it's something that must be quite hard to do with if you're time restricted uh, so i'd be interested to know how the med school approach sort of affected the way you thought about it and equally how they viewed it as well oh for sure and even my own experience with it like it took about 10 years for me to get a diagnosis because um because of how i was describing the pain and uh you know it's hard to really uh help someone understand your own experience and especially in a short amount of time and maybe you don't have the words to describe it. And sometimes you do just need a surgery or an intervention, a medical intervention that's very quick and can get you out of that pain experience, right? Just to give you reprieve. Um, but if you're having something that's a bit more long-term or reoccurring, uh, you have to think a little bit more about, you know, there's the sensational aspects. So I put my finger on the, the, the trigger and, um, like the heat or the burner and, you know, you have the sensational experience of it, but then it's, what are you telling yourself about that? And how are you talking to other people about that too? Because that will um, affect the sensational experience. So you have to be careful with your mind and your words and story that you put on top of that and the emotional aspect. Yes, that goes back to what you think, say and do. If they're in line, then it's a good thing. It's not going to provide extra trauma or unneeded trauma um and this it's interesting isn't it because we've come back to this we've said this in previous podcasts when i've talked to other guests there seems to be a very common theme in a lot of practitioners and teachers of some sort that because they've gone through an aspect of pain or discomfort some through injury some just through training where especially for like olympians and, and gymnasts uh, like yuval was on one of my previous episodes we're talking about pushing through in a gymnastic environment so when you get to a competition standard things are so much easier so there's that short-term discomfort which equates to long-term gain but what can happen is that we never experience discomfort so we get a long process of just chronic issues and pain because we've never pushed so hard through that barrier to go ah, okay i needed to give it that or maybe i needed to receive that that pain as a teacher to send me off on this path um, I'm sure a lot of people have experienced that financially this year and emotionally as well, as I know you've been tested uh, in the environments you've been in. Um, so, yeah, I mean, if you could go into as well where you where you live now and, and what um, challenges that has presented you with, um, but equally what opportunities it's given you as well over the last few years. Yeah, so currently I'm, I'm on a small island in Thailand, which sounds like a nice little paradise. Um, I was living on an island called Koh Samoy for a few years, and I was working at a yoga retreat center there. And I was particularly interested in that uh, space because it was focused on, on breath and pranayama and using movement uh, in an educational way. So there's a lot of um, trainings like advanced trainings uh, in pranayama, in teacher trainings, in um, 
a lot of guest retreats would come through and then there's people who are just exploring it for the first time so we had all levels and um, you know a lot of people show up because they're looking for change in their lives or they're trying to work through something in their body or they're just curious about um, the experience of of being more attuned with their body and their breath so those are really wonderful moments and uh, conversations with people from all over the world. And it was also a good base because I was between here and, you know, I would also go into Nepal or into India to study and train a little bit more into Indonesia. And um, yeah, it was, it was just a great place for learning about and teaching um, about breath movement in the body. Uh, very different from some of the other experiences I had. So I've been overseas. I left Canada about 15 years ago. And actually, I probably, uh, as because as soon as I had the chance to travel, I, I took it. Like, as soon as my body was feeling a little bit better, I'm like, okay, I have to go see the world. <laughs> so I actually took a job in Cairo, Egypt. Uh, I was in my early 20s, and I took a job there teaching art at an international college. And that was, if you want to talk about uh, pain, like that, that's a, that's a city that's quite painful on the senses all around, you know, it's just, it was just an attack. And I kind of enjoyed that because everything was very external to my own experience. You know, everything was polluted and noisy and all of life was in front of you and expressed and there is teaching art. So it was just, again, kind of this quiet little space and you're trying to find this thread of uh, creativity amongst all this chaos. Um, so I just found that such a, a interesting place to be that was so different for me from, from Canada. And um, I, I took that to keep traveling around the Middle East and Africa. And um, from there, I landed a job teaching uh, ecology and teaching visual art in Italy. So that was also very different because everything's very sensual and, you know, life is very beautiful and you're supposed to enjoy and eat slowly and partake in conversations. And I remember just the colors were so much more vivid. It's the first time I lived by the water and um, I was teaching there at a international college called United World College of the Adriatic, and that was started by Kurt Hahn, who is really focused on adventure-based learning. Um, he started Outward Bound, and so he was really about like challenging people to be more outdoors and to look at uh, peace education and conflict resolution and that had students who got scholarships based on merit from their community um, who came from like 90 different countries and they were there for two years. So it was this really amazing hub of, you know, people who wanted to change the world at a really young age, but they were from conflicting cultures and nations. So that was a really cool place, again, to help people find stories with art, right? Like I'd have students who were coming out of refugee camps and they couldn't speak English or Italian and you know a little bit in shock and uh, my job teaching art there was to help them create a show over two years so it was helping someone find a way to express beyond language their experience and a lot of people had 
phenomenal stories, but they didn't quite know how to share it with language. And um, my question there was always, uh, okay, we can talk about peace and we can talk about trying to find a commonality. But if you're not feeling that inside in your own body, how can you have these conversations about peace? So that's when I started going to train more with breath and with movement to try to find that myself and to try to understand that because I just found it was this small uh, missing puzzle, missing piece in, especially in education. You know, we can talk about these things till we're, you know, blue in the face. But if you don't feel it in your own body, in your own self, it's like, how can you find that with someone else? How can you find that in the world around you? So that's why I was kind of like shifting more to Thailand and I was in between those worlds. And then I wanted to understand this a lot more. So, um, yeah, I just focused quite a few years on uh, how to help people feel better and myself, just trying to understand it. And then now with everything closed down, it's really been a time of uh, just going back to my own experience and looking at, okay, how can I use this time to really fine tune my own thought processes and what I've learned and uh, to just live it? Uh, yeah, that's, a, that's one incredible journey. The thing I really liked about that as well was that the the difference between like Cairo, like you said, in Italy, and how the, the contrast of almost because of spending time in the the desert in conflict myself in the past, and understanding that it, I know what you mean. It's like everything's just different color of a uh, different color of beige. That's it, or like a yellow. And then you go to somewhere like Italy or um, Europe, and you, you see a lot more greenery, uh, a lot more color. So it's th that contrast is huge. Did that, do you feel that that contrast improved your art, like having the different environments, like seeing those two different cultures as well? Oh, I, I think all of it fed into it. Um, you know, in those environments, because it was so full on and I would say chaotic, I actually wasn't making that much art there. I was teaching a lot. I felt like I was watching a lot, collecting but I wasn't making also because I was traveling so much and um, I didn't, you know, I was used to making these big paintings. Uh, so I didn't quite even know how to express my own, but I felt like, yeah, I was getting a different way to look at things um, like in Cairo. And it was a different understanding too, because there's restrictions, like you couldn't depict the body. So I'm trying to teach art. But, um, you know, the, the nude body, no way. In a, a Muslim country, like, the pages would be pulled out of the art textbook, right? And a lot of beauty there, a lot of this idea of, like, uh, universal beauty goes to, like, abstract geometrics, right? So you have, like, you, you look at, um, yeah, specific mathematical models or, like, fractals or um, patterns, and that, and light, and that was used to describe, like when you go in the mosques, like that was used to kind of bring you to a higher realm or a different place to imagine, right? Whereas when you're in Italy and you're looking at these really like fleshy, sensual bodies, like that contrast was different. But 
they were different restrictions, right? And when you have these kind of restrictions on what can be expressed, it just gives you a different frame to look at and to view the world. So I think the artists were just working with those frames and okay, um, let's let's describe beauty in this way or let's describe um, anguish in this way. So in Italy, a lot of it's with the body and um, you have these depictions of, you know, these realms of hell that are just, <laughs> you know, it's very like people-based, but um, yeah, that can be very different in Middle Eastern art when you're trying to show like anguish. Um, so in the art itself, like there's restrictions and different ways of expression. And then my own definitely, like it was just my own experience with the senses and with color but things became very attuned, like when you're describing being the desert and it was just like, for me, I remember going desert camping and it was just like silence, like I've never heard before, but stars like I've never seen before, you know, and I was so used to camping in Canada where you'd always have water nearby, you know, I'd be canoeing and stuff like that. But in the desert, it's just so stark. So that experience, like every, it's almost like you could hear the stars. And um, the, the place there that I, I started to love was the Red Sea because I would start going diving in the ocean. That's where I learned how to scuba dive. And there the colors were so immense. You know, so you had to kind of go into another realm. You had to go underwater to get that um the colors and the you know the the reflective nature of the scales on the fish and the it's almost like listening to jazz music because you don't know what's going to come in front of you but it's peaceful it's peaceful and um yeah in Italy it was like you know the landscapes and all of all of that can change and I think also how you're how you're experiencing the different cultures and being in that you're changing too right so it's it's going to affect you as a person and how you're communicating, but also it will definitely affect your art. It's just, I myself wasn't making a lot because I was teaching so much when I did take time out. Cause I took a sabbatical when I was in Italy and I was traveling around in India. And that's when I was looking at movement a lot more. Like I just took a year just to practice, practice yoga and practice breath more. And that's when I was like, whoa, like that's when my art was really changing. That was going to be one of my questions around, I've definitely found myself that you can get very carried away in instructing others, but if you're always giving energy out, there's almost like this inability to, I'm not saying it stops altogether, but I think it definitely reduces somewhat where you fail to have that void or space creation to absorb information. So sometimes whether it's the space you're experiencing now or the space you took on sabbatical or even just finding that space in a chaotic environment like Cairo. I think from my own experiences that that's been quite beneficial at times to just stop and just reflect and just say, okay, what have I taken in from this process? And it's very easy to go through 10, 20, 30 years and go, oh, actually I didn't stop because I was just on the grind working every day or coaching every day. And didn't take any time to actually work for myself or do my own stuff. Mm -hmm. But I find that that also can't be forced. Like when, when the lockdowns were happening, a lot of my friends were like, oh, Sarah, like, what are you making? Show us your drawings and your paintings. And I was like, 
Oh, nothing, nothing. It it took months because there's also a certain uh, headspace you need to be in to let that come through you. You know, so it's not just like um, it's not like you're just reacting to to life and the circumstances and oh, okay now everything's quiet so now therefore I can you know use this time to reflect. It's like no no no, you still have to. I, at least for me, like I still have to find that space in me. And it's like you let the reflection pass through. So you kind of carve out that that time. Um, but it, it comes through you. It's like you allow yourself to be an instrument, you know. Yeah. Like a con- conduit, a conduit like expression, yeah. Yeah, if you're, <laughs> yeah, like if you're always listening to other people play their instruments, then... Um, you, you can add into it and be part of like the little sympathy s- symphony. But um, yeah, there is something to just being like really, really, really quiet and yeah, allowing your own, allowing the song to come through you. So you can hear it first and you just let it come through. But visually. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I mean, that's, that's always the challenge. I mean, we, we find this, Angelo's always said, to me from a martial arts perspective it's like one he said when you get to a certain level you start to ask the question am i doing it or is he or she doing it so who's actually moving who because it's um you're so intertwined in terms of the movement and you're so switched off from pattern a moves to pattern b and if this doesn't happen to do pattern c that it's just happening it's just in this complete free free expression and that's really what you're getting to but again these things i think sometimes try people try and move to these things too early that you'd still have to know how to paint you still have to know how to use colors and these sorts of things i'm talking to someone who doesn't do a lot of art but it seems like quite a, a like operating your tools and learning how to clear them up is quite a basic thing that we need to know so from a movement perspective learning how to hold a blade or you wear some gloves or punch correctly that's all going to be a, a part of the process so if you don't know that that free form of expression might not have a good intention behind it. It might not be as it should because the tools aren't there to use. Like you don't know how to use your hammer yet. You don't know how to use your screwdriver yet. I suppose that's probably an easier way of communicating it. Definitely. Yeah, you definitely want to build up your your technique and your ability. Your, your, it's your language, right? It's like you're saying, it's your toolbox. And People say that all the time, like for our, oh, my, my kid can do that, or I can just throw paint on a canvas and do that. It's like, well, first of all, like try, <laughs> try, see, see what you make, see what your child makes or see what happens when you throw some paint on it. But um, yeah, when you, when you build up your ability to observe in art, which can be very strange because sometimes you're just looking at light and shadow. That's it. Like, I remember when I was really young, and it was actually one of my older brothers, he was taking an art class, and he's, like, showing me how to shade. And I was like, oh, wow, like, there's no lines. There's no lines in nature. When you, when you start really looking at things like an egg under a light, there's, there's no line that actually divides it. It's just the spectrum of light and shadow. So when you learn how to shade really well, you start to see it's just a continuum of you're, you're going from light to dark and knowing where, where that edge is from, from shading, but there's no hard line. 
nothing has a hard line. So you start looking at stuff really differently. And then you're like, well, if I can improve my shading and understand just that little technique or where the little reflective light goes or, you know, the, the darker cast shadow, it's like, oh, I can just draw this better. And then you do that over years and, you know, you have your visual language so that when you go into a state where you're yeah, trying to communicate with that, it's, it's more refined, which comes in handy which I think is just exactly what you're saying. Like you have your technique and your movement so that you can use that, you can express that, you can, you, you don't quite know where the the observer, like where your hand and your eye stop. Yeah. It, it's, it's really interesting because that analogy of not drawing, sort of not drawing the outside of the shape, be it the egg first, but actually shading into it is almost like that sort of journey to goal perspective isn't it it's almost like the line is the goal but it doesn't mean the egg looks good it's just a flat to the image but when you start to build it out you give it time you start to to work the process it starts to come alive there's so much more depth to that process because it's been a gradual thing that has taken dedication uh, and commitment and it's a skill um, anyone can draw a circle on the page within reason but actually making that come out the page like actually have a, like a presence like a feeling to it that's going to be a completely different experience isn't it probably many many years of practice yeah and then that can just be an outcome from that's just looking and understanding you know the the sensory realm like your visual realm a little bit better and i was reading um it was walter I isaacson's book on da vinci leonardo da vinci and you know he's master drawer and technician and engineer and uh, imaginary right imaginary visionary person but he was just so obsessed with one question and it was you know what is it that makes the seed germinate like what's behind that life force so it was like he was almost doing all these observational studies of life trying to understand what's what's underneath it like <laughs> what what's what's making a seed sprout and what's making that become a flower and um you know what's animating the body and part of understanding that is just to draw it because yeah maybe there is something into the the development of the actual object right from seed to flower to you know it's it that's also really interesting it's like what do you get obsessed with like what are you really trying to draw do you think that knowing the intention of what the artist is trying to portray changes the viewer's whole experience around that art? Do you think it gives you a new context, a new way to look at something? Oh, it's wonderful. It's wonderful when you know the story of the artist or what, yeah, definitely their intention for sure. Because we don't always know that. Sometimes we just get the image, right? And there can be a disconnect of, okay, I'm looking at this as a viewer and I'm experiencing this image in a certain way or it's reminding me of my own experience like it it's really a way to reach out to humanity right for all ages but you don't know as an artist how someone's going to look at it right and maybe someone understands the art a little bit more because they understand you as the artist or your experiences but sometimes you don't even need that you know like if it's really if it's really a really good relationship between the artist and the viewer there's just this kind of like 
oh, you know, like you both just get it because you share that experience, you know, like if, if you're like, oh, movement, like it, you, you say you like what I make because it relates to movement. I'm like, well, yeah, because it comes from my studies with movement. So it's like, oh, yeah, like we just both kind of know how that feels, right? But maybe you don't know my story and I don't fully know your story, but there's this like, ah, there's that space in between our stories where we just go, okay, I get it. You get it? I get it. But like as an artist, it's like you're just shooting out arrows. You don't know if anyone's going to look at it ever. Like I used to just hide my stuff in a drawer. It took forever to like try to get that, you know, show it to people. But you don't know who's going to look at it, how they're going to connect with it. And um, they might have a whole other experience, which also feeds you. And I, I think that's actually really interesting now. It's really interesting to make and share art right now because you can post an image and someone can message you that you have no idea. Like I was just talking to this guy in Costa Rica who really liked my work. And we're conversing over it. And, you know, it, it's like that that's separate from the art process. That's completely separate because it's really just this is the work and the viewer looks at it and the artist makes it and maybe they understand it, maybe they don't. Um, but then you can have this whole conversation with someone, you know, and oh, what's your story? And um, that can feed your own artistic practice, which is... I think really interesting but yeah typically if you know a little bit more about uh, the artist how they grew up their experience uh, their circumstances making it ooh, it just makes it so much better it just makes it so much richer I think the two things I was really looking at there was around intention so when I was speaking to one of my previous guests Alex it's been something we discussed at length was intention is so key for anything because if you've gone to express something but the people that are watching or taking part in the session don't know your intention then it can leave a lot of vague lines behind it and sometimes that's quite nice if you want to create that experience if you want them to explore but equally, sometimes if you want to channel them down a particular thing as a learning process, uh, whether it's in a, a movement context or sport, you, you're trying to look to improve certain attributes in people. And I have found that most art seem to have this like common bond in the way that I think all artists can appreciate other artists regardless of what practice it is, whether it is... Uh, a visual practice whether it's a listening practice you can listen to to music and you have no appreciation it doesn't mean you can can mix or you can do anything like this or produce music but you can listen to it and go whoa that that's incredible music and equally you can listen to other stuff and go well that must have taken like 10 seconds to produce and and these things that mutual appreciation like you said is a door in and once you get into that space you meet great people and you have this common common link it's a really nice way to put it. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I think it's like even sometimes you yourself, when you're trying to figure out your intentions and you're, you're getting to know yourself, right? That might be so confusing. It's like, okay, I have a couple threads that make sense. You know, I, I seem to gravitate towards this and this and this seems important. And that mix is like, you know, the unique braiding of what you can identify yourself with, right? It's like, okay. 
And then you find someone else who has like a similar thread and you're like, ooh, okay. But you have no idea sometimes how those are all going to come together, how it's all going to braid together, right? You just have all these random threads. Maybe like, like at least for me, like I was like, oh, I really like art. I really love ecology and nature and um, science. But also I'm curious about pain, you know, and I love to travel and I want to see the world. And you have all these like little threads that come out and sometimes they come together and it's like, yeah, this, this feels right. This feels like everything's merging in a way. And if you, if you have some sort of intention with that, like I, I'd like to use this to help understand something better, help other people understand each other better. Right. And you start getting like this empathetic um, line going between experiences. And then other times it can just seem so dissipated, you know, and all your threads are everywhere. You're like, I actually don't know what's going on right now. Cause I'm, you know, going in all these different places, but then at some point, they can come together again and fuse and it's like oh okay yeah that makes sense like i needed to look at this part of life and this part of life and i had this visualization there sir of this um like ball of yarn or like ball of wool and someone just unraveling this this wool and almost to the point that i've seen it with my own stuff as well it's like you unravel you're unraveling something more and more and more with the intention that you're going to find something in the middle and then eventually it unrolls and there's nothing there and it sounds really for people listening. There must some some people might understand that to some degree, um, but I was told about a book. Um, one of my teachers had me reading a book um, previous to this, and it was right at the end of the book. The last chapter was basically the book of void. Like the you get to the last chapter and you realise it's about nothingness. It's about letting go of everything that you've learnt. So you spend four chapters or four books reading about how to develop these different skills, develop all these different things, and right at the end, let it all go. And I've, I've seen different practitioners get to that point, and some of my teachers that have tried to communicate that and say, this is really important, but it's also not important if you can understand that you need to, to gain these skills, but you equally need to learn like how to let these go. At some point in your life, if you get too bound to these things, you're going to get stuck. So learn to be unbound to these processes and unbound is something a mutual friend Dorian uh, talks about quite a lot as well like not not being stuck with a particular process but be willing to develop and evolve as time goes on yeah because I I think also that essence and it, if you call it a void but whatever that kind of pervading essence through all those threads in that ball, right? Whatever it is that maybe, and maybe this is what Da Vinci was trying to figure out. Like, what is it about the ball that makes it a ball and it's no longer a ball and it's unraveled, right? <laughs> it's like, what, what, what is the, the essential essence of something? And um, it's, it's, you know, we're going to change all the time. Life is going to change around us all the time. And sometimes we can take ourselves through that process. Like I, I definitely went through that um you feel it with pain. Like you feel like you, you, you have, you know, these experiences where you definitely not yourself and sometimes you don't even feel human. And then all of a sudden you come out of it and you're like, okay, I'm going to go back and do these things that um, I do and I spend my day. And then there's times when you travel, right. Or you change jobs or you, especially when you travel and change your job, you completely shift your identity and what you're around and, you just let that whole ball of yarn completely unravel. It's like, 
okay, now I'm at the, the mercy of, you know, the people around me and trying to understand what's going on really quick because I can't read the language, I can't speak the language, I'm walking the streets, could actually be quite dangerous, you know, but there's, you also start to see like, oh, there's a lot of kindness here, there's some compassion, there's, there's some humanity that's past me being able to speak, right? Or me being, you know, Sarah, the whatever university student from Canada or, you know, the art teacher from Italy because you let that all go and it's, okay, we're just people here and we're trying to understand one another. So, um, yeah, I think the more you break that down in yourself and you can develop your, your level of understanding or communication or excellence in one area, it's like, well, what happens when all that's gone? You know, what's left? And then what's happening when you're talking with someone else? even through through this uh, sort of online there's still that whatever it is it still exists Uh, in person it tends to be a little bit stronger Uh, i think there's more more there um but yeah that that connection regardless of of how it's done still exists and i think as human beings we are we're drawn to being together that is uh, i've run a few events over the last month um with friends and, and work colleagues and just being in groups of 30 people again and just having that experience again has been huge and it's it was very easy over the last year to think oh, okay maybe i'm maybe i prefer sort of working on my own and doing this stuff but as as time goes on i've actually gone well actually i missed i missed that experience i missed sharing laughing about things and even being challenged on my perspectives i missed being challenged about like is that right like people calling you out on some stuff and you go okay i needed that i need people to turn around every now and then say do you think that's correct just to make sure you're sort of looking at the whole spectrum and not just narrow-minded to what you think life is and i think that's what a culture changing culture changing job helps you to do quite a few people get stuck in their jobs which is something that i've done before um, i can hold my hands up to that but then there's little signs that pop up along the way it's like maybe you should maybe you should change maybe you should do this or maybe you should go and experience something different and moving to thailand was a big a big shift for us um obviously working at this, the same place as yourself and learning and seeing these different like these differences sitting still for three four hours at a time and understanding that that is okay because you actually you are achieving something and that achievement is stillness it's that space again we're coming back to understanding you don't need to be moving doing something all the time having that reminders list to tick off because that in itself can become toxic i think we're so used to controlling our environment now i think that's part of the problem it's like our bubbles got so small we want to control what's around us when we start to expand it we go into a new culture you can't do that you're forced to start talking differently acting differently um and and blending in a little bit more you can't you can't stand out in different cultures too much yeah it's it's interesting too when you're in different cultures and all of a sudden you're like like clearly different right like i i grew up in canada and um toronto is a pretty multicultural city but i never knew what it was like to be um a visual minority you know, and to be discriminated against because of my blonde hair and, you know, being a woman. And I just found that just even like for a moment, trying to get a a taste of what it's like to not be welcomed because I'm from a culture that, you know, wasn't so appreciated at the time. Uh, Or at least that, that may have been even how I felt 
right, walking down the street. But then, yeah, there's definitely people who I form friendships with and who show kindness. But, you know, to walk down the street and just be spat on because you're a blonde foreigner, I was like, ooh, that's that's different. Like, I did not grow up with that. And um, I think, yeah, the more you put yourself out, even when you can't quite blend in, like I definitely did not blend in in Cairo. I was definitely a foreigner. And same in Thailand, like I, I don't look Thai at all. But um, the way you can treat the people who are different from you, right? Like you start to understand there is something when you start treating someone as other, right? And, and you're talking now about, oh, it's so nice to be around people again and to be challenged a little bit for your differences and your different thought. And it's like, yeah, actually, we, we need that. We need, we need to accept uh, and understand each other's humans first, right? <laughs> yeah, you got that. <laughs> <laughs> humans first. We're humans first. For sure. <laughs> this was uh, again. I've, I've gone into depth about this in previous things, just to really sort of get the point across of why this meant so much to me to to communicate these things. Because equally, I started to see things happen around the world that can cause people to become feel like they're separate from others, and it's never that. It never has been, but for one reason or another, certain. How do you say? certain media channels powers that be sometimes in, in their incentive to to make us feel like we're not all the same thing we're not all the, we're not all human beings and we're not all from this collective where we should be working together because um yeah if, we, if we're separated we're a little bit weaker if we're together as people we're we're far stronger as as a community and that whole human first concept to me transcended culture race um beliefs backgrounds is that we're the same same thing at the end of the day and something stood out there as well so art stands out this is my thing like the people that have done art that really has been known it's it's like the difference maybe the intention like you said or it stands out it's a little bit different to these other things yet cultural in terms of cultural differences if someone is not the same are you again going back to what we we're talking about a slightly different skin color or something else that can be seen as uh, there's discrimination can exist within those cultures but i just find it ironic how maybe that same person might go and buy some artwork because it's very different so should we be seeing life in this way like everyone is a is an art piece everyone's an art form because we're, we're formed in someone's uh, perspective or something Again, it comes back to that thread, like you said. Um, maybe that underlying thread is something that does form that essence of being a human being and life on this earth. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I don't know, artists tend to be, you know, maybe we're not the ones that get along so easily with the pack because, you know, our experiences can be a little awkward or communication can be a bit awkward or we're just focused on other things and talking in a different way or seeing things in a different way. And um, there is a place for that. And there is a power to that too, because to be able to, you know, have an artistic expression, have a creative expression, it's usually the result of feeling a bit more um, like you're not, you're not in fear-based mode, right? You're, you're kind of in, to get into that creative space, you have to, 
be courageous. You have to go past fear, usually feeling somewhat um, stable and or bold, right? It's like, it's okay if I'm not fully accepted, but there's something I, w- I want to show people or have people look at and I can transform a space. I can transform a canvas or a piece of wood because of my imagination, you know, and I can tell a story that will transcend language and I can share something that's really important that maybe people aren't looking at. And it can be something historical, historically relevant. It can be something culturally relevant. It can be just looking at the way light hits the paper. It's like looking at the everyday experience that we're all going through, but you're taking it and presenting it in a new way. And um, yeah, it might not just be that, okay, we ourselves are art, but you're having the ability to help people look at our everyday experience in a new way. You know, can you imagine this? Can you think of this? Can you look at this another way? And by doing that, we start to see like, oh, there's other ways to experience life. There's other ways to think about this. Um, Yeah, maybe we don't have to take it so seriously, or maybe there's moments we do. There's conversations we're not having. I'm sorry, I'm talking very abstractly. No, makes makes sense, complete sense. Yeah, or it could just be like, are you seeing how beige this beige is? Because <laughs> I've been like, have you noticed how beige beige can be, right? So, you know, and it's these kind of conversations. It's like, yeah, I've been in the desert. You've been in the desert? Yeah, I know what you're talking about. You know, there is different levels to beigeness. <laughs> but it, again, it's it, you say that and, and just thinking now, when I said it earlier, I thought, well, black and white TV was around for so long and people became very used to that black and white tv so different shades of gray was the people were used to sort of seeing this stuff and i think my perspective on that is that you said about it makes you appreciate the details and that's what i started to do with um, i'm not great at photography by any means but it's something that when i started to do things online for social media i started to go okay if i take it from this angle what do i see okay how does the, how does the light hit the camera where's the light on the body? So if I take it from this angle, the body's lit. If I take it from this angle, it's a silhouette. And that same experience, because we did art school as well. I remember sat in an art class for six weeks, drawing the same thing in the middle of the table from all these different angles. And at the time I thought, oh God, here we go again. I'm doing the same thing over and over again. Looking back, I actually started to see that you are just changing the viewpoint. That experience taught me more in later years and it did at that time because I understand that there's different viewpoints and that is a valid thing. It's okay, it's the same process but you're allowed to see it from a different way and it doesn't mean it's any different from you as a person. It's free expression, that's something that that it should exist for all of us. Yeah, and it helps you understand your experience. Like to tie this into just my art in a very uh, non-abstract way, in a very pragmatic way. You know, I, I had a student and she was describing going to Ustrasna, so that kind of like backbend camel posture. But your chest is like really open. And she's like, oh, it just feels like there are these flowers coming out of my chest. And I was like, oh, like, I think I know what you're talking about. And then when I was doing that posture, I was like, okay, I can feel that, you know. I, I get it, I get it. And because it's that growth, it's the expansion, it's um, that, but also that sweet feeling of something like bursting or blooming or coming forth. And um, like, that's when I was like, oh, maybe 
maybe I'll draw this. Like, what does this look like? And, you know, it's, it's just that kind of um, curiosity too, right? To have these conversations and go, oh, do you feel that? Yeah, I feel that. What would that look like to you? Okay, I can see that in my own body. And isn't that interesting? You know, I, I don't necessarily experience that when I'm doing it, but I can feel it. I can feel how you're describing it. I can like empathize with that. I can try to understand your experience as a human a little bit more. And yeah, what what would that visually look like? So that that's kind of how some of these um, drawings started to come about. And then I would think about um, like say doing the sun salutations, you know, it's not just a movement. It's not just um, one one position. I was like, how do you depict that? And I was like, well, there's so much to it. There's how your breath is going through the body. And what would that look like if you had like kind of a central point on someone's sacrum while they're moving through? And, you know, you have the flow of the movement and it's that whole experience of the inhalation, the exhalation with the movement, right? And um, like, what, what, what would that actually look like? And how much of the body needs to be there? And do you have that feeling of weightlessness? And, you know, as you get more, like, strong and refined in your practice, like, where are you focusing? Where's your, atten- where's your attention in your body? And it's not so much in the, the physical form, you know? So you're focusing on, like, maybe key, key aspects of your body or um, just that the push and the pull and the, the feeling of the, the, yeah, the movement through space, but also with your breath through that. So um, it's like, how do you capture that with a pen? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, it's, it's a hard thing because if you, um, a couple of things came to mind there. I think comic books have done so well over the years because it's like you see the strike, you see the power, the, I don't know, the sprint, you'd see the lines behind the person as they're moving. But if that person was didn't have those lines or didn't have sort of that impact image, like the yellow sort of zigzag pow sign, it wouldn't have the same, it wouldn't pop as much. But because you see that, you go, oh, okay, I know what's happening. It's like you don't even need to read the words. You know exactly what's going on in that image. And... Obviously, your artwork's far more detailed and um, different to, to a comic, but that contrast, I think, still exists because, again, like we said earlier, it transcends language. You don't need to know the language to understand what's going on, and I think that that really does show um, someone who's who's nailed it to a degree because I, I see this with my little one. She can't really speak yet, but I know what she, to a degree... We know what she wants. We know what she wants to try and get across to us. And that's just a load of signs and a bit of pointing. So these things can still be done. The other thing I see a lot in textbooks is up and down arrows. So if you want to do a squat, it's like squat down, squat up. But that doesn't show you what happens in that process. Are they saying, right, I want you to ground little toe, then feed the feet and feel what the feet are doing. Think of an external sort of screwing into the floor with the legs to feel like that energy is going down and then you're powering back up. What's the breath doing, like you said? Uh, where's my center of mass? These things aren't communicated just with an up and down arrow because the body doesn't work that way. Uh, it's not just a simple up down line or like force A, force B. And I think there is a need to put a little bit more detail in these things. And if you can express it, well, there's things in my head I've been trying to express for years. And that's why I reached out to you as well. I'm like, Sarah, I've got these ideas and 
uh, I don't know how to show them sometimes. I think words don't do them justice. Um, and that's not to big, big these things up. I think it's more about a lack of, it's hard to communicate a process with language because the language isn't really designed to communicate these things if that makes sense it's not quite i don't think it matches up with the experience i don't think i think language can do things a disservice sometimes um, and then you go to like a like chinese cultures have different words and those words sort of mean movements and mean certain types of ways of moving the body and because they're moving cultures they're cultures that are ingrained in martial arts and, and art and it's almost like they're a little bit more set up than we are as an english english speaker for these things yeah sometimes there's not the exact word for the experience but you know even just as you're describing it like i feel like i can see what you're saying like in a really specific way like i'm like oh i know how i would draw that just because your your language is so poetic or descriptive and um yeah sometimes it's just like we don't quite know how like this is how i would be with some of my students when you know, they were coming out of refugee camps and they didn't have the, the, the same language as we were using at the school, which there was like Italian and English, but, you know, to communicate it, but they had these really strong experiences. And I'm like, oh, like I know how I would express it. But even that it's like, I'm trying to show her how she can express it. You know, so sometimes it's like, you got to just find someone else who can make it for you because you you kind of get it you're like oh yeah this relates to how I think about movement and I'm like yeah I see it I see it but then there's also this aspect of can you help others find another way to communicate you know who want to find that language too when they don't quite have it with the words and it, I, I think there is something to it like if you look back at humanity like we were you know putting images on cave walls right like that was that was a working language you take some some blood and some pigment and mix it with i don't know some protein from what like eggs or whatever you can find and you're like charcoal you're smearing that on the wall like that that's a very um universal language the pictorial language and um yeah i think it's 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 something that can add more depth to our experience when yeah words fail us or when you don't have it, like you're a small child and you're learning language, it's like, I got gotcha. you. I'm learning. I'm learning how you're speaking to me because it's not all verbal. Yeah, it's yeah, it's, it's it's been a process that I've been trying to sort of work out. There. And sometimes you need to pick a subject. This is what I found as well. You need to pick a subject to not only draw someone into the fold, like you said. Sometimes you need to say, right, we're gonna. I don't know. It could be the method you're using. It could be, right, we're going to use paint today or we're going to use oils and whatever it might be to say, right, to, to get that latch just to sort of make someone look. Um, this is what quite a few people I've worked with have said, that if they sort of gave them, can you imagine saying to someone, right, I want you to find the essence of this straight away. They go, what? If they want to know what colors they need to use, what brushes they need to use, what am I drawing on, what what's what am I painting on, what, what am I actually going to deal with? Um, and that again it comes back to that intention doesn't it like my intention is to express this in a certain way and see what you come up with but I think if you can explain it to someone if you can really give someone the tools to go and work on their own you really understand the process you really understand what's needed 
and equally when to step back and say, I don't need to hold the hand all the way. I can give them a little bit. You've got enough tools to do what you need to do now. Now go and experience it. And maybe you come back in a few months, a few years, and we'll work on it again. But let's see what you can come up with. Let's see what you can communicate. And won't that be a fantastic story to hear? <laughs> hmm. Yeah. Yeah, work in progress. <laughs> <laughs> it's awesome. So um, to sort of round up, Sarah, as well, your work primarily at the minute, um, if someone was to go onto your website, which we'll leave all the details in the show notes and make sure we link over, what will they see and why... Do you, I mean, we've covered it a little bit, but why do you, why do you do it? Why do you enjoy painting or drawing the way you do? Um, okay, so if you go to my my current website, which again that was a progression of allowing my work to be seen, right? That took a long time because I was really really shy, and um, it took a lot, and I, because I was teaching so much too, right? And I remember even my students would be like, you know, but Sarah, like, what does your work look like? And I'm like, no, no, it's your exhibition. It's your exhibition. Um, But then I would just start, I had a lot of drawings and um, people would ask for stuff like, oh, can I have that? Because I want to, you know, remember this. or I want to think about movement in this way. And a lot of it was uh, when I was doing like yoga trainings and things like this. So a lot of the work was based on, on, breath and uh, movement and people were also doing that and you know it came from these kind of conversations so then it was being shared and um, making the websites just well can I just make it accessible because someone out there seems to want it you know so I can just make it a bit easier so if you go on my website now um, it has a lot of works that are based on yoga movement and breath but also the experience of the body with movement and a lot of it has uh, a natural component to it because I spend a lot of time in nature um, so I use that as my metaphor that's usually when I feel most at ease and most um, connected to life and uh, the idea of movement with that for me it's it's a good fusion so you'll see some of my yoga drawings up there um I also have this underwater series because I do where I am now um a lot of exploration in the ocean a lot of that has to do with no breath there's this crazy thing called free diving that I get involved with where you know you descend down around here it goes to about 35 40 meters and you do that on one breath going down and I just find it such a fascinating line to go down. You literally go down a line of rope um, or you can go through like swim throughs and corals and caves and things like this. But you technically just train on a rope and um, you're going down on one breath. And that like your mind has to be so focused on it. But you also have this, at least I have this feeling where the division between the water and your body's uh, non-existent so a lot of the drawing will have you know a lot of the ocean life coming through the lungs and that relationship and then randomly there's a lot of pictures on Venice Italy <laughs> because I was living near there for about seven years and I just became so fascinated with with the city and I would hear stories about it and how it was built and the ecology and the history and you know 
Italians are just such great storytellers. I'd be walking the streets like, how is it that this city exists? Because it really is an impossible place of of hope. Like it's it's a salt marsh in the middle of nowhere, and it was built because um, people were fleeing the barbarians that were coming down, and they're like, we're just gonna go into the sea because we know they can't swim because they're mostly like from landlocked countries and it'll be safer. And all they had was salt and fish. And they built one of the largest um, running republics in all of history. And the empire was vast and it was all in the water. And I just remember walking the city and being like, wow, even just supporting it. And this was the first visual I got of, of Venice. Um, there's like hundreds of thousands of trees that were transported over from the mainland and like staked into the the salt or into the silty marsh to buttress the land together because it's like a whole bunch of islands and reinforced. And I was like, I'm walking on an upside down forest, you know, and then they'd bring in all the stones. And I just thought that's that's really interesting. Like I'm walking on upside down trees probably, right? And I had always had that visual when I was walking through the city, and that was one of the first drawings I made of Venice. And then as I got more of the stories of the history and everything, I, I just started drawing it more. I was like, wow, what a fantastic history. And I got so excited about it, and I'd meet like all the, the people in restoration and the artisans and the glass blowers and you know, the the theatrical folk mm-hmm. and the architects. And I was like, oh, this is this is like really, really rich. And I would get the stories and write them down. And then that became a book, which is actually coming out in a month, I think. That was like that was like a seven-year project just just because I like the stories. So you'll see some of those images there. Yeah. Just imagining history, right? And imagine this uh resiliency of people who built like the most magnificent empire out of nothing. You know, I, I just I was like, wow. Like that's that's pretty phenomenal, and um, that was a pleasure to do. And yeah, sometimes sometimes I just take stuff on, and I don't quite know why. Like I just get really I get really obsessed with it. So I got obsessed with Venice for a long time. <laughs> I was living like forty minutes. I used to bring my students there all the time too, and I just I it was it was such a cool place to imagine. The images look incredible. I'm just looking at some of them now. Um, I love the sort of yeah the root idea under the city. Uh, that's that's incredible. Um, you also mentioned freediving, and that the breath holds have been something I've been exploring over the sort of last year. And I haven't taken it into a freediving context, although it's something I'd love to do. Um, and getting to a space where you're sort of comfortable with the diaphragm starting to spasm, and then just sitting with it, and then it happens again, and you go, oh, "That's okay. I'm still I'm still okay. I've got another couple left in me." Um, and I actually found the more I did it, even though I had a few years of pranayama there to sort of sit back on and a daily breath practice and all of these other methods had sort of explored through um, uh, more modern takes on these things as well. I do find the use of breath holds has been something that it's like added another layer to my breath work. It makes me feel even more calm because it's like, I feel even more control um, over something that's probably the only thing I have got control over really is 
this this process and it's feel like if life gets a little bit hectic it's like okay i can dial it back i've got this thing and it's that i found that emptiness that again coming back to that void that was one of the few times i can really honestly say that i feel like that void that space where nothing's happening you just feel your heartbeat nothing else and it's incredible so to take it into water i mean that must feel incredible as well yeah like I, I feel really relaxed in water and I'm around people sometimes who are doing it and they don't feel relaxed, but they're still just exploring that space, right? And um, uh, for me, it, it's something like I never push. I'm always really gentle with it. But yeah, it's one of those times where, like you're saying, you can really hear your heartbeat and feel your heartbeat and you become aware of these um yeah the, the diaphragm contractions and just realizing that your your body has a response to something like it's asking for something it's asking breathe you know um but you can build up your your tolerance to co2 so that you're kind of becoming more familiar with that so that you don't have those contractions so soon and that you get used to it it's like okay my body is asking for breath um I can still hold my breath for a few minutes and I know I'll be okay. And I still have all the oxygen available in my blood. And um, yeah, there's something to doing the breath holds when you're in the water or not. Um, you, you, they're very different experiences. Um, but it's just that awareness of this is how my body reacts. And it, it's, it's almost, it's not painful, but it's uncomfortable. And it can just show, okay, this is the mechanics of it, but it doesn't necessarily mean that I have to respond immediately to it. There's, like you're saying, this kind of space or void in the experience past that. And I found, yeah, when I learned more about um, like the mammalian dive reflex and that we actually have it built into our bodies to go deep and we have like where they thought your lungs would like implode because of the pressure you actually get this like blood barrier and um, your body goes through uh, different processes to like bring the blood closer to the heart from your lungs and the heartbeat slows down. So you can actually go to these incredible depths that no one would ever imagine. And, you know, people explore this and they push this or, you know, it can can be a little bit competitive. Like they just had the freediving championships uh, where, you know, people really explore this and, you're going down to like 130 meters, right? Where you would think like, oh, the pressure, like what's that going to do? And um, like that's extreme, it's extreme. And maybe not so much the experience, but you really start learning about the the capacity of the body in these extreme circumstances. And I think we, we face this a lot, like when as humans, like we're always trying to go, you know, can you go higher in the mountains? Can you do that without supplemental oxygen um can you run longer like um can you yeah go deeper in the water and i think we're all just naturally curious about what we can do but to to kind of do it gently and to do it with skill and with um a bit of wisdom right like you're not reckless with it uh and that's kind of what you were talking about earlier like you build up your technique so that it's not something that you're you're pushing and you're challenging but you you let go into that space and at least with diving deeper, it's like the more you relax, the deeper you go. So you have to kind of learn to um, 
be aware, be acutely aware of the discomfort, but relax with that and keep the mind completely focused the whole time. So it's such a such a weird experience. And I, I kind of like these really peculiar um, uh, setups, you know, um, and then it, it, it actually just feels really natural and really good when, when you're doing it well and when you kind of, you're around people who have done it longer, who can show you the way and then you explore it a little bit more and it pushes you into unusual circumstances and you're like, okay, what, what's in this frame of possibility? Right, and you just you explore it. You never um, you never want to push your system hard, but there is something with the body that you know we have been going down depths. Like maybe you know there's a history of diving for pearls as people, or you know going for corals. And there's like different cultures that live in the water, like the Ama in Japan. Um, the the, the body is just accustomed to it. And the fact that we have this physiological response was a surprise. It was like, oh, like, and then, and to understand also like the mammalian dive reflex, it's something that links you with other species, other mammals in the water. Like that's also, it, it's, it just expands that idea of what it is to be human, right? When you just push your limit a little bit or push your experience and um, yeah, just being, being a bit comfortable with, something that's very different very novel yeah i think that's why so many people have got into it i think why wim's wim hof's done so well um using breath holes just to get people into the mix i mean obviously he's got different methods for different reasons um but i think it has opened people's minds to like okay maybe maybe when i thought i could just breathe and hold my breath for 10 seconds that using certain techniques that I have the ability to go further, even if it means to go and investigate different routes under other guidance and that sort of stuff as well, like actually having a teacher to follow them through that process to, to guide them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think, again, it's like intention, right? Like I believe Wim Hof was like trying to work through grief. It's a big emotional component. And, uh, you know, when you start throwing yourself in the cold, like that's a really good distraction for your emotional experience like you're not thinking about too much or you might even have like a, a a really like it almost feels like you want to cry when you're in those ice baths right like it, it feels like a grieving to your body but you're not with that story and in the experience so there's that disassociation but yeah with all these things you want to be like careful you want to still be careful with your body because um like pain we can talk about it being a teacher and we can talk about um you know you're you're listening to different aspects of your body or like your body's asking for breath it's like you, you don't want to challenge that too much but it a little bit of stress on your system can help build some resiliency to it also um yeah but you don't want to shock yourself <laughs> still still be kind yeah, that, that, that's huge. And again, that's the value of having a coach because they've generally been there, done it, not only with themselves, but probably many other people. And they can go, okay, that was enough today. Even though in your mind or your body, you're going, I can do more, I can do more. It's like, no, no, 10 seconds extra today. That's all you needed. Or may, maybe go backwards. Maybe we'll take you backwards a bit and we'll sit there for a few weeks and then we'll bring you back up again until your body started to, to tolerate these processes. Um, yeah, and that's why experience in any process, I think, is, is a huge thing. 
and, and intention. Like, is it to be competitive? Is it to push an edge? Is it to overcome something? Like, the people that I'll, I'll free dive with, like, for them, it's really, it's almost philosophical. They just love the water and they, you know, they want to explore it a little bit more and just feel good doing that. And it's not a, you know, it's not like something that's like a hard push. So you want to also see, like, yeah, what what the people around you are doing and kind of go, well, why are you doing it that way? You know, like, I, I yeah, I see your intentions. Sometimes it's okay to be competitive and, you know, push your edge a bit, but it's like, do we have to be like that all the time? Because it goes back to what you said, isn't it? The, um, the more you relax, the deeper you go with this. I mean, it's, if you force the process, you're going to come up against a barrier. Um, it's like if two people clash muscle on muscle, one has to give to allow some some movement or someone has to overpower. But if you just relax, it's a little bit easier. You've actually chosen the easier, more efficient route just to relax and allow the body to sort of, and the mind to go into that process. And it actually leads quite nicely to the last bit. So to finish every podcast, I'm keen to leave the listeners with some simple routines or habits that they can adopt and apply on a daily basis. What principles would be at the top of your list to form the foundations of human health, or in other words, a human first approach? Mm. I'll give you three. (laughs) Um, I think the first would be to get outside as much as you can. Uh, For me, this year just became really, really simple. I was like, it's a good day if I can watch the sunrise and the sunset. I was like, that's a really good day. So understanding what a good day is for you and try to get outside as much as you possibly can because uh, those are those are nice treats. It sounds pretty simple. But uh, I was like, that's a, that's a really good day. And then however you can be outside, you know, just walking or running or just being in a different space where you're not around people so much, I think that's a good discipline because the world is much bigger than uh, humans. (laughs) There's a lot of different species out there to explore, a lot of life to explore. And um, I think there's something about getting lost in there if you can a little bit. And then to be around different humans if you can. So (laughs) to try not, you know, as as an artist, sometimes I can spend a lot of time inside. And uh, I always try to get out and try to you know, converse with different people, different ages, different experiences, different backgrounds for that. Um, yeah, just to, to remember that there's, there's quite a bit to our diversity and um, life experiences. So it's good to be exposed to a lot of difference. And the third is to have uh, a very distinct space that you set for yourself that you keep as your home so that wherever you are, whenever life changes, you have that, uh, it could be like a routine or some sort of like way to start your day or end the day. I usually do it in the morning. Um, that just like lets you have maybe that facade of control, but it also gives you a space to check in and it could be, yeah, just seeing what's going on in your mind what's going on in your heart, what's going on with your breath, with your physiology, how your body feels, however you want to explore your movement, but to give yourself some time by yourself just to explore your your state of thoughts, breath, heart, and 
movement because that's like that's bringing home wherever you go and it it just makes every day a bit lovelier i like them there's a lot in those three there's a that was good get outside is a huge one it keeps coming up repeatedly and i think for many people it has been that that big thing it's that there's so much to explore around us and like you said it's very easy to be absorbed in your own head but by mixing with other people and um having having a routine as your foundation i think that's key and it just allows us that space to you've given yourself a little bit of space so you can give other people a lot more of your time because you know that you're grounded in something your practice your home yeah and that's that's a good place for creativity to come through i like that so thank you so much for joining me today um just been really good to catch up and talk through these things uh, i know we're gonna connect on a few projects in the future because i'm again keen to sort of communicate some of these movements um via your work and i think that'd be incredible to do so just to see what you can come up with um and based on the work that i've seen you do over the years i can't expect it being anything but incredible oh. <laughs> so thank you thank you so much it was a lovely conversation thank you again to sarah and thank you for listening to find out more head to her webpage at sarahpieros.com or follow the links in the show notes see you on the next episode